Welcome to the Good Theological Thursday podcast. My name is James Crockett. And I am Dre Clark. And we are glad to have you join in our conversation today. We hope that this podcast helps you as you think about your life and God and how they fit together. And a good Theological Thursday to all of you. We are in Season 5, Episode 8 of the podcast, um, talking about a subject today on morality, ethics, how do we legislate morality and ethics, um, You know how involved should Christians be in promoting laws that do legislate those sort of things, so... Um, a little bit of issues here, Dre, I, I, it kind of falls under the category of Christian involvement in politics, uh, involves, you know, separation of church and state, all, all sorts of mm-hmm. issues here that this kind of deals with. And so, um, uh, kind of a subject, Dre, I don't think we've necessarily focused on this type of subject a lot, but this was submitted by, um, one of our users through our Good Theological Thursday Facebook page, mm-hmm. Donna uh, Lee Barger. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that last name right, but um, thank you, Donna, for the question. And so, yeah, that's that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, I'm, I met Donna actually working at the last campus I was at. Um, so she was part of a, a group that met up there on Thursdays. And so she was she's a great listener and she would always have great discussions. So I think this is a really good and it is a different direction. Um, you know, we, we try to hit a bunch of things, but it definitely falls under the realm of theology and, and you know, morality, I think, is is a key part of faith, a key part of you know, any religion. And so, um, and I think Christianity has a very unique take on it. Um, mm-hmm. And so how do we, how do we play that into, into what happens in our lives, into our country, into our, you know, government? I think it's a good, good thought. So yeah, I'm excited for it. It'll be different. But before that, James, yeah. uh, let's go ahead and uh, go to our segment, our weekly wisdoms and wandering segment. I finally got mm. the name of it down, too many W's. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so this is just a segment where we just have just a little sidebar conversation about whatever it is where was on our mind this week. And James, you were reading an article this week for a sermon prep, and uh, and I thought it was interesting. So you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so um, my pastor is in quarantine right now, and uh, so I found out... We, he found that out yesterday that not that he has COVID, but he recently came in extended contact with someone who had COVID. And so uh, I got a call yesterday that I was needed to preach on uh, this Sunday. So I was like, all right. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing a study through Acts. And so the passage I was given to preach on was actually John 15, 36 through 41, which is where Paul and Barnabas separate. Um, and uh, so interesting interesting passage to preach a whole sermon on. Uh, I'll, I'll just say that for one. And so I was like, well, you, you guys didn't make it easy. So anyways, um, so I was doing some study on it and, you know, one of the things you read that passage and, you know, again, you know, it talks about Paul and Barnabas have this really strong, in fact, the word used, um, this is described, it's described as a sharp disagreement. Uh, it's actually a word that's only used Twice the Greek word used for it is only used twice in the New Testament, and it's only used twice in the Septuagint. Um, and even the meaning of the word is actually pretty. If you do a word study, it doesn't seem to help you that much because this word seems to be used a couple different ways. Anyways, but we know the agreement is disagreement so strong that Paul and Barnabas, these close ministry partners, end up deciding that the best way to move forward for their ministries was to move in separate directions. 
And so the question then came for me is why did this, this issue of whether they should take John Mark along or not, um, why did they disagree so strongly here? Because all you know in Acts 13 is you know, John Mark is with them and at some point on that journey, John Mark leaves, right? They're going to Pamphylia. John Mark leaves, and that's all Acts really says about it. You know, just and it kind of if you were just reading the story, you wouldn't think much of it. Uh, but then you know, you come later, and Paul, um, you know, was very not happy the fact that John Mark left in the middle of that last journey. Um, and so I was reading this article. It was actually written all the way back in '93 because I, I was just curious: is anyone? You know, are there journal articles out about this passage? Mm-hmm. And um, and so there's this journal article about the character of John Mark in the book of Acts. And um, one of the things, actually, this, uh, hang on, the article was written by, in fact, I think I still have it up. Um, yeah, uh, it's called The Presentation of John Mark in the Acts of the Apostles by Clifton Black, C. Clifton Black. Um, in perspectives and religious studies, but this was written back in 1993, and um, his he actually ends up arguing for the plausibility. I mean, he does say you can't know this for sure because Luke doesn't explicitly say this, but there's certain clues, perhaps in the Book of Acts, that suggest that John Mark leaving in the middle of that journey was not just about you know oh, it's difficult, or oh, I need to go home. The bigger issue involved might have been that John Mark, being someone from Jerusalem, um, might have had some issues with the Gentile mission itself, mm. um, with the idea of reaching Gentiles. Um, and then, so he left, uh, because actually his when he leaves in the narrative, it's right after a Roman proconsul um is one to Christ. Previously, you see John Mark, he's with um, he's with Paul and Barnabas in the synagogues preaching. But then you get this narrative of this Roman proconsul uh, being converted. And right after that, John Mark leaves. Um, and uh, and then, of course, uh, the whole the whole passage with uh, verse 36 to 41 um, you know, of Acts 15, when Paul and Barnabas separate, it comes right after this Jerusalem council where the issue mm-hmm. is very much on Jewish and Gentile relations. Do Gentiles need to be circumcised to be included in the community? And so you have this coming right off, right off of this. And perhaps John Mark had a change of heart and wanted to be involved again mm-hmm. in the Gentile mission. And uh, Barnabas being someone who was uh, merciful. Um, John Mark is also his cousin. I'm not sure you find that out in Colossians 410. I'm not sure how much that would have played a role in this, uh, Luke doesn't mention it, um, but you know it seems it seems the narrative more indicates Barnabas is just kind of that kind of guy um, that he's just merciful and wanted to give John Mark another chance. And Paul, um, perhaps if it was more about the Gentile mission as passion as Paul was about that, um, you could understand why he maybe was very skeptical about bringing John Mark back back along. So I don't know. It is an interesting thought. I mean, you can't. Prove that Luke is not very explicit about why John Mark left mm-hmm. um, that initial mis- initial mission, um, but you know I read the article and, and you know it seems it seems plausible that yeah. that might have been some reasoning, and that could also explain why Paul took such a hard line on this of not wanting to bring John Mark along again. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think too the, the interesting thing about it though is 
whenever we read, especially Acts, I think a lot of Paul's letters, I feel like we often overlook the the importance and the um, what's the word I'm like the intensity of this debate that's happening around Acts 15. Um, this, mm-hmm. th- this 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 Gentiles. I mean, this is this really does rock a lot of the world at that time. And I think it's extremely still important and, and applicable to us today. Um, oh, but, yeah. but it, it really is. I mean, I, I think that you realize that these people are writing and they're living through this and they don't have, they don't have the new Testament. Like we do They're They're in the, they're living the new Testament. Um, and they're mm-hmm. dealing with very hard theological implications and, you know, and their, their defense is, well, you know, not themselves, not their own ideas. It's look at what God's doing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we, we don't know how to argue against what's happening. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it, it, I think it's a central part. I, I would almost argue you can't understand the majority of the of the New Testament. Actually, I, you know, a lot, I used to always say that Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Really, Luke actually writes most of it. Um, if you look at Acts and Luke together, like <laughs> it actually makes up yeah. a larger portion, despite not not too many words. But um, yeah. I, I would argue that the most of the New Testament is about this issue of division, and mm-hmm. um, and especially this division mm-hmm. between there and. I, I, I kind of I think it's very plausible that that is what the the split is over because I really feel like that would be a hot topic um, or yeah. if not if not the topic and I really think it connects back to the topic of the Old Testament I think it's what the Pharisees miss is that that Judaism was always about reaching the Gentiles uh, that Judaism yeah. was always about not just one people group but all of creation and, um, and so yeah. I, I think that it's a, it's a major remodeling uh, that God is trying to do whenever Jesus comes and a major resetting is probably the better way to think it. it's mm-hmm. a major clean out. It's a, not just from a, you know, a lot of atonement theories, a lot of reformation really want to push that it's all about the atonement. And I, I think that's true, but I do think that there's, it, it's a bigger thing. It's not just the tables being reset from a morality level, but just from a relational and an ethical level. And I think that's even today, you know, with all of our divisions that's going on in our country, I think it's, I think it's really indicative of of the heart of what sin has done to our world. So, yeah, I buy it a little yeah. bit. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't thought too much more about it. I've heard it before. I feel like I've heard that before. That idea. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's yeah. very. I think it's very plausible. Yeah, it, it might be. Yeah, a, it's, which, it's a stretch, but I think it's plausible. Yeah, which by the way, you know, which you even have at the end of Acts fifteen. Um, you know, the way I kind of outline the chronology of the New Testament, you have Galatians two, the whole instance with. Um, you know, Paul having to confront Peter over table fellowship of him, you know, avoiding the Gentiles to not upset Judaizers over the issue of circumcision again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and what does Galatians 2 say? Paul even says even Barnabas was led away. I think that actually takes place before the Jerusalem Council. Um, but, you know, it was recent. And, you know, not that Paul and Barnabas hadn't reconciled. Obviously, they had reconciled that difference because they were willing to go on a journey together. But, you know, that's still probably, you know, they might still be there a little bit in the back of Paul's mind. Again, that's, that's Paul's just, yeah. uh, you know, it's his passion. I, I think I've heard this before from preachers and it's a very unfair characterization of this story. That's not in the text at all. So if you ever preach on this passage, please don't say this. Oh, yeah. uh, but some people are being like, Oh, Paul was wrong or Paul was just not showing mercy here. And Luke, Luke never indicates in this, let's just be clear. Luke never indicates in this story who's in the right or who's in the wrong. He never, he never says, he just says there's a disagreement. And honestly, I think for Paul and Barnabas, probably neither of them were right or wrong. Right. I I think they both had positions that were both tenable. Yeah. They're they're wrestling with real issues. And I think that they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're wrestling in a, 
in a fair way. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so I think what you learned though, a little bit is even though they both kind of take a hard stance on where they're at and they realize, Hey, the best thing for us to do is to separate is to go separate ways. These guys are still focused on the mission of the gospel and they don't let disagreements. um, They don't let disagreements distract them from what the overall goal is. And I think we can learn a lot about that. And sometimes you know, we're going to be in churches and we're going to have disagreements with people that we might say, hey, I can't work as closely with you because we really just don't agree on this issue. That doesn't mean I can't love you and support you. That doesn't mean we're not both after this. We're not both after the mission of the gospel. Um, yeah. So I think you can learn a little bit even about how you handle disagreement um, from that passage. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's not what our episode's about today, but there's our just a little sidebar of what James working through. I thought it was interesting, um, but let's jump into today's uh, episode. So I, I want to read the question. So here, here's the question as Donna mm-hmm. wrote it herself. Um, and and yep. the idea is, should Christians vote to legislate morality in Christian beliefs or um, is it a better idea? Could we get more done for God by impacting individuals, not laws? Um, and so mm-hmm. this idea of you know, how Christianity, you know, would grow more in the wilderness and the mountainside is one thing that Donna mentioned. Um, and, and maybe this idea is, is, should we, should we stop trying to, you know, take America uh, back? Should we stop trying to think that America can legislate Christianity into it? You know, should we put the Ten Commandments back in or should we just stand on the outside and just start loving people and, and maybe have that kind of an impact? Um, so, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of stuff happening in this question. Um, and I want to say right off the bat too, I, I think... I think for the most part, I do agree that Christianity does not have to be in the legal system for it to grow. And I would argue that the time, you know, talking about Acts, just from that conversation, the time when Christianity had its most um, rapid prominence and growth was in a period where it didn't have, I call it the three Ps, power, prestige, and privilege. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing. In fact, it's one of the things that I think is extremely convincing um, about our faith is that Christianity came to be a dominant thing, um, even though it was so persecuted, even though it was such a minority uh, belief, Mm -hmm. a very small sect of Judaism that survives, um, and it shouldn't have. I mean, it really shouldn't have. There's so many Mm -hmm. other ideas that happen. So, um, so I think that there's, there's some arguments we made there, but James, what do you think? What do you, what are you thinking about this? There's a lot of stuff we can tackle in it, but what, what, what hits you whenever you hear that question? Yeah. Well, I'll also add, Dre, even on top of that, um, you know, some church historians look at the time of Constantine whenever he, um, you know, makes Christianity the official religion of the state uh, or of the empire. And, um, you know, some people have argued that that was one of the worst yeah. things that happened for Christianity. Yeah. Um, and you you could probably make that argument um, where and, you know, you can make that argument. I, I do think, you know, and some people accuse Constantine of this and, you know. This eventually is going to happen in the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church through the Middle Ages, where the church and religion became really did become a power play. Um, It became a way of subduing and it became something that um, Jesus never intended Christianity to be. Um, So, you know, I'll make that caveat there. But, um, yeah, when I I think about this question, um, number one, I don't think it's a I don't really think it's a one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, question. And I think a little bit of what Donna might be even wrestling with is um, 
maybe there are some Christians, they seem to err so much on the side of trying to get Christian principles and legislation that maybe they're not focusing enough on while fighting for Christian beliefs and Christian morals, are we at the same time showing Christian love? And, um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I, I, I look at this question and I think there is a balance here. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with fighting for Christian morals and law. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dre, you have a good statement on here. There has to be some moral rules for society to function. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, morality, there has to be law. I mean, if there yeah. is no law, I mean, you know, you have anarchy and you have chaos. And so, of course, we have, to, you know, again, the idea of, um, you know, our laws about murder, uh, you know, that comes from, you know, the most basic law of God and all the way from Genesis, uh, really at the very beginning. And then the Ten Commandments, do not murder, right? I mean, like, it's okay to fight for, that's a that's a great biblical principle that we shouldn't murder people, right? Yeah, so yeah. Um, that should be in law. And, um, and, and, and so I, I think there is, there's nothing wrong with fighting for Christian legislation. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we can't fight so hard for it that, the law becomes more important than people. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of initially where my thoughts go. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to, I want to go down that thought some more. Cause I, I, and I, my statement that I want to end with, um, I think we'll kind of meld these two together, but I do want to say right out front that I think that we should have uh, godly people that are involved in politics that are involved in mm-hmm. legislation that should yes. be fighting for, for morality and by morality, mm-hmm. I mean morality is set forth by what Scripture says. Mm-hmm. Because my basis for morality, and I would argue the basis for all morality, has to come from some from. I mean, this is C.S. Lewis. It goes all the way down to this the argument from morality. Why why do cultures all around have these basic kind of tenets? You know, and you can argue things against. I know all the arguments against there, but at the point is, is there has to be some moral rules. There has to be something for us to function. Otherwise, you would have just pure chaos. Um, mm-hmm. and so, so it's a very real thing and it's unrealistic just to let people decide now the, the governing philosophy of where those come from, whether it be utilitarian or whether it become from a religion or whatever source, um, I would argue that all truth is based in God's truth. And so when someone is fighting for something that is good, something that is truly moral, um, it's going to be in some way or form connected back to, um, what I would say, you know, God has mandated, you know, cause God himself is good. And so, yeah. So I, I do think that that's, that's a need, and I don't think there's, you know, let me say this too. I think even in the Old Testament, um, whenever God gave his laws, um, even though the law was not never meant to bring salvation, um, it was, or it was never meant to, the law never could succeed at salvation. Let me say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, 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 its function was to show people that their need for someone who could actually do the thing, who could actually follow them. But I mm-hmm. think I think a secondary form of the law in the Old Testament that I would see is that it gives nations um, control. It gives nations a governing element. And so mm-hmm. while the law is never meant to actually bring apart what we need only in Christ to do, uh, a secondary element is that it does. It's an act of grace upon the mm-hmm. world. It's an act of grace definitely upon Israel, but upon their neighboring people. I mean, it it, it really does serve as um, as as a 
statement in time in history of God is showing grace because without it, the whole thing would turn to chaos without any kind of rules. Even though, mm. even though you live with a godless people, God didn't have to give that. He could have given us over to our desires. Um, in fact, you get some of that language in the Bible where that happens in, in time periods where God sovereignly, you know, just gives people over to completely. And he does, he's kind of moving a level of grace away. Um, so I do think mm. that having law is a level of grace. I do think that it's, it's needed. And I think that we need more people um, advocating for it. I think, I think it's a very, very good thing to do. I think it's a great thing to be a part of. Um, yeah. Which by the way, I, I think of even the old Testament, you'll find this, um, you especially get into the time of the, the monarchy um, where, you know, when, it, when Kings were governing in a way that was inappropriate um, where they were, you know, not enforcing God's laws or they were coming up with laws that were against God's laws. I mean, you had instances where, um, yeah, people that would speak out against it. Um, yeah. And this had to do with how Israel was being governed, uh, right? So, I mean, you look at all the way from the very first king, Saul. I mean, Samuel is having to hold Saul accountable to when he's disobedient, when he's not governing and leading Israel the way he's been called to do it. Um, you know, you go all the way through David, you know, when he he has his moral failure, Nathan the prophet comes and he calls him out. Uh, you can go through Ahab with Elijah, you know, being the prophet call. Um, you know, you look at the prophets. I mean, this is a time where they are speaking against, um, you know, the the political monarchy that have not enforced God's rules, who are not um, legislating morality the way that God has called them to, um, is ultimately leading Israel away from God. And and I know that's a little bit different than today. I mean, because honestly, you know, Israel itself um, being God's chosen people in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there is some difference. I, I, I'm not going to say that it's like an exact comparison to, yeah. you know, say the United States, but I mean, you have precedents here where, um, people put in power, right. You know, again, Romans talks about what it, what, it, what is the governing authority supposed to do? They're supposed to, um, reward good, punish evil. And, you know, I think we have a right as, as people to hold leaders accountable to that and to, and to, Make sure that biblical justice, um, biblical laws are are being carried out in our society, and to advocate for those. Yeah, um, and that's where I think Dre, you're right that you know having you know praying for and having um, solid biblical believers in positions of political authority um, would be a great benefit, and it's something we should desire. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I would even say, you know, let, let's take it to real time events, even even when mm. it comes to because we live, I think we live in a great, I mean, I, I love being American, I love being in this country, we live in a time where, especially whenever you start really studying history, um, you know, we've got a lot of terrible things in our history, we got a lot of terrible things in our present. Um, but the history has a lot of terrible things <laughs> um, that are much worse. I mean, we have, mm-hmm. we have police force, we've got firefighters, as much as we hate building codes and things like that. Like we've got people um, that, yeah, there, you have to impose on freedom somewhere. There's always going to be a boundary, uh, but we live in a pretty comfortable world right now. Um, even mm-hmm. with all the, even with COVID, even with 2020. Um, I mean, imagine, imagine this pandemic, imagine a year like 2020 happening just a hundred years ago. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, we, me and you, James, just got through this giant snowstorm, right? Like, yeah, it was mm-hmm. tough and, and it was, but, but there's people that live their entire lives like that without electricity and running water. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there, that's a reality right now as a present thing. And so as much as we can bicker and argue about the hows and the what's, 
um, I think that that we do live in a in a in a time in history where we are extremely blessed um, mm-hmm. to be to be in, in the West. I mean, we, there's a lot of things there, um, and there there's some things that are still not right. And, and I do think mm-hmm. that part of that is is saying, hey, you know, no one's perfect, and we have the privilege, and, and I think we have the responsibility of being in this country to say, let's continue to work on it, let's continue to work together, um, and, and learn to get along with these opposing ideas. So, so all of that being said, I think that that's a good thing. I think that it's a privilege. I, don't, I think it's unique in history. Um, I think that it's something that we should mm-hmm. not lose. I think it's something we should fight for. Um, but at the same time, so, so the next kind of part of that is, and this is where I have the problem with things, um, is, is any of that going to be a solution? So another way of saying mm-hmm. that is um, I, I was taught in seminary, if you can't agree on the problem, you can't agree on the, you'll, you'll never agree on the solution. And mm-hmm. so what is the problem? Is, is the reason that people are, um, you know, doing things is the reason that our country seems to be turning to a, a negative direction for some people or for other people that our country was always that negative direction is the reason because we don't have the right laws. Um, yeah. you know, if that, and if, the, if that's the case, well, then what would the solution be? Well, we need to do everything we can to refix the law system, right. Or to change mm-hmm. the law system or to improve upon the law system. Um, so what is the nature of the problem? And then that dictates my solution that I'm going to give to it. And this is where mm-hmm. I will disagree with some things is that the problem in our country is not the government. Um, I mm-hmm. would say the problem in our country is the, 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 the existence of depravity. Um, and we, mm-hmm. we live in a world where people are broken and for whatever reason, beyond my knowledge, you know, it seems that, that God sometimes allows more grace and allows more privilege, power, and prestige. And sometimes he withdraws that from his people, um, mm-hmm. because he's sovereign. And, and you see this in the old Testament, you see this with the prophets. I mean, God is saying, Hey, I'm about to send somebody in to take over you. And it's like, well, that's not good. God, why are you doing that? You know, but he's sovereign. He, he, he knows what he's doing because he's trying to produce character. He's far more concerned with our character than our situations. Um, and so mm-hmm. you see God kind of as this, this divine, you know, game board of life and he moves nations and countries at his will. Um, and nothing happens on the board without his, um, without him being in control. And so I, so I think that that's part of where I want to look at where our country's at is, is maybe, maybe the solution isn't um, that, that, or maybe the need is not that we need to have better laws and that's going to fix everything. What do you think about that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I fully agree. Um, yeah. If, if your whole hope and, you know, you know, people, well, we need to get America back or, I mean, whatever you want to say, we need to turn America around and, and you think that the solution to that is just going to be, you know, as long as the right laws are in place, you know, America's going to be great. Um, you're kind of, Oh, uh, what's it? You're, you're putting the cart before the horse, so yeah. to say, yeah. um, again. Right. So you look and, and it's, it's like, I, I like to say this a lot. It, it's like we get, we're shocked when unbelievers act like unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, of, of course, I mean, of course, people in government who don't know the Lord, who, who don't have a Christian worldview. Uh, Dre, I read a stat the other day from, um, the Barna Research Group, um, uh, they're a big study on Gen Z that was done back in 2018, where it was like four percent of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. Um, and so, when you have that with people, people who don't have a biblical worldview, um, and then a lot of people who just, you know, 
again, you know, Christ is not their Lord and Savior. Their lives have not been transformed by the gospel. We shouldn't really be that shocked when the way they try to legislate morality is different than mm-hmm. scripture, yeah. right? Uh, and so, and, and the idea that we're just going to, you know, have enough political arguments that will eventually get them to see our side, I think is ultimately yeah. it's a fool's errand, um, yeah. right? I mean, the only way those hearts are going to change is that their hearts are transformed by the gospel. And again, that doesn't mean we can't have political debate. It doesn't mean we can't still fight for um, for reasonable Christian morals and law doesn't mean we can't fight for those things but can't put your hope in it um and again chris you know even if america continues to go down a a really dark path where our morals become more and more godless it doesn't mean that christianity's done Mm -hmm. right i think we almost put the hope of christianity sometimes on the hope of is america going to remain christian right um I don't yeah. know if that makes sense, but I think that's sometimes where we get and we get so concerned about this rather than saying, and I think this is part of Donna's question. And I think this is, again, this is where balance exists of our lives being transformed by the gospel. Yeah. Right. Are we, are we focusing on where we're at now? Um, showing the heart of the gospel to people, communicating the gospel to people mm-hmm. and first seeking that the Lord would change hearts before we try to legislate. It's almost like we try to legislate heart change. Yeah. And that's something you can't legislate. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it makes sense. Once again, I mean, whenever you, whenever you've lived at a time and, and you see that time changing or, and, and, and part of it's also whenever you're young, you know, you're, there's some ignorance. Cause I would, people always say, we just need to get back to the good old days. And I would say, well, the good old days may have been good for you, but go to another culture. Were they, were they that good for them? Um, and so, uh, mm-hmm. but I do think that, that once again, it's where are we putting our hope? Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I think that, I think the ultimate, we have to put our hope in God and no matter what happens, no matter what, even if, even if, uh, the Western world as we know it goes away and we slip into some, you know, form of socialism or whatever it is that people are scared of. Um, we don't have to be scared. Uh, we don't have mm-hmm. to, we don't have to be upset. We don't have to be angry because the church has already survived through so many different manifestations. Yeah. Um, and, and none of that matters because we have what matters most. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, which, yeah. But I mean, by the way, you, you talk about that, whatever form of government we s- slip in. Uh, let's remember that Christianity in the first century thrives, yeah. not in a republic. Um, again, I, I would, Dre, you and I have talked about this before, that the, the government that we live in is very unique in world history. The level of freedom um, that Christians have, um, it, it it's very much a privilege for us. Um, and, uh, but Again, that doesn't Christianity is not dependent on that. Uh, in the first century, they were in the Roman Empire, and um, the ability to you know to fight for legislative morality in the Roman Empire uh, was probably going to look a lot different than it would look like here. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I think that's also pretty important to keep in mind. But at the same time, I do think Christianity, um, you know. What did Paul want? Paul wanted to go. Paul's ultimate goal was to stand before Caesar and present the gospel. And so, you know, even Paul, you know, he he had a concern for those who were in political rule. You read Acts where he stands before Festus and Agrippa, and um, you know, he was involved in all levels of society, um, trying to reach um, 
you know, doing the work of reaching people with the gospel. But I, I think that is, you know, Christianity survived the Roman Empire. It's survived um, way worse forms of government in um, way worse situations. Um, and that's the comfort I think we take. Yeah. Um, no matter what happens here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. So I, I think to kind of, as we wrap, I don't know if I have much else I want to say about this, James, but I think one, you know, life, life is full of, of, we, we need law. We need to have that. It's a, it's a grace of God. And whenever you have law, that means you have boundaries. Whenever you have boundaries means you need to have umpires who say, this is in, this is out. And I do think we need godly men and women who say, who accept their calling. And I want to use that word uh, to go and fight in that arena. I think we need Christian lawyers. I think we need Christian judges. I think we need, um, or, or better way to say it, we need, we need judges um, who are Christian, you know, we, we need, we need, or Christians who happen to be judges, Christians who happen to be lawyers. That's what I'm hunting for that. Oz mm-hmm. kind of idea. I, I think, I think that that is God's mission for the church right now is to be in the world, but not of the world. Um, that being said, um, first Corinthians one it's kind of what you were saying, James, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Um, but to us mm-hmm. being saved is the power of God. So at, at, at the fundamental point though, there is a, key, if not the core element, which I know the core element, the cross um, of our faith that, that is going to be rejected. It will never be mainstream. Um, you know, it is, it is not, it's not the main thing. I mean, it's foolishness to those who are not believers and, and we live in a world with unbelievers. And so I think we got to be realistic about that and then know that the solution is going to be um, what, you know, how first Corinthians is preaching those, you know, preaching the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. and so that is our mission. Um, and so how do we live in that tension? I think so. It's, it's really back to some of our episodes on cultural engagement. We need to engage well. Um, but we ultimately need to know, uh, what that engagement should, what, what it can and can't accomplish. Um, and I think that's yeah. helpful. What can this accomplish? What can't it accomplish? And be very clear on that. And I think it'll, it'll save us some frustration inside. Um, and then, you know, and then realize too, Hey, you know, there's black and whites in this world. And there's a lot of gray, but we are living in a time where there's a lot of um, a lot of people are saying, "Yeah, think these things are wrong," and so seek to agree. Find the things people you agree on first before you go into the division and the politics of that stuff. Like hit the baseline stuff. Start having more of those conversations. Like, what do you agree on, and mm-hmm. why do you agree on that? Um, instead mm-hmm. of what don't we agree on, and why don't we agree on that? Let's switch that conversation over um, and have influence. Have Christian influence, and that's what God's put the church here to do: um, is to be a yep. light in the darkness. And so. That that's my kind of thought, but it's definitely um yeah I definitely don't look to government to save us um but it sure it's a benefit and, and and it's a privilege and I think it's something that's that's been noble and I think you know like I said MLK I mean the stuff that he did I mean I I, I think that that's amazing I don't I don't think it's he, I don't think that anything we'd never say that racism is ever gonna die I don't think you're ever gonna have world hunger solved I don't think you're ever gonna have uh, wars and 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 peace anywhere. Um, on this side of heaven, because we live in a broken world. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't fight for glimpses of heaven now because we already mm-hmm. obtained it now. Um, that's a Hebrews mm-hmm. idea. We, we enter into the rest, but there's a sense where that rest can come now. And, and, and as believers, we are we are ambassadors of of this message. We are ambassadors of heaven here. Um, and let's, yeah. be, let's be good ambassadors. Let's draw people to the beauty of Christ. Yeah. All, I think it's all about that balance. Um, you know, the answer is not, well, we're just going to completely withdraw and just let society go where it's going to go and we'll, and we won't ever speak out. I think speaking up for, for Christian morality, speaking up for ultimately the gospel, speaking up for biblical justice, those things like that, those are all 
things we should do um, while at the same time, um, you know, and, and I like Dre saying fighting for glimpses of heaven and, um, you know, as citizens of God's kingdom, being one to propagate God's kingdom here on earth, um, while at the same time realizing that our hope is not in the kingdoms of this world. Our, mm-hmm. our ultimate hope is that Christ will return and that he will establish his kingdom here on earth. And at that point, um, these type of conversations of legislating morality, we're not going to have, have to have those conversations anymore yeah. um, because uh, Christ's kingdom will be ultimately good. And um, so putting our hope in that and then preparing, preparing people for that, um, um, you know, giving a vision of God's kingdom to people, yeah. um, I think is what's important for us. Absolutely. So. I encourage people to go listen to uh, John Foreman released a new album uh, a couple weeks ago, and he has a song in there with Lauren Daigle called A Place Called Earth. And it's this idea of how we long for heaven on a place called earth. I think it'd be a good, good kind of song to close this I, shameless plug. I love John Foreman so much. So, yeah, uh, but yeah, that, that's it. I couldn't have said it more beautifully. And, and John says it better than both of us have said it in, in that song. Um, but, but that is it. That's our hope. And so, um, yeah, good question today. I'm, I think it was, I think it's, it's a, it's one that I think we need to think about and do some more thought through. Um, and I think really mm-hmm. it's an exercise of placing our hope. It's an exercise of placing, um, you know, our, our, our vision of what's ahead and, and, and realizing that, that tomorrow will be better than today because God is working in this world um, and learning to see that and learning where he is working and where he's not working so we can get on board with him um, and, and learning to have his eyes. I mean, it's, that's the exercise of most of our lives as we walk through. God has left us here for a reason. So got to figure out what yeah. to do with it. Yep. All right. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I think that'll end us for today. Thanks again, always, for listening um, to our podcast. Uh, we always appreciate those who take the time out to listen to what we have to say. Um, as always, you can send us a question or a topic for the show, uh, just as Donna did. Uh, you can do it a couple ways. Donna messaged us on Facebook at our Facebook page, Good Theological Thursday. Follow us there. Send us a message. We'd love to be able to talk about issues that you want to hear about, that you want to be thinking through. Um, or you can email us at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, we would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we would also encourage you, if you have not rated or written a review for the podcast, if um, you can rate and review the podcast, we would very much appreciate it. Or if you just have a friend that you believe this episode or the whole show would benefit, we encourage you to pass it on to a friend. Dre, I don't think we talked about before where we're going to go next week. So um, why don't you close this out? Um, if you have a topic, you can mention it. If not, uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll see everyone next week. Yeah, yeah. So normally we, we try to discuss that, but we just blanked out today. I haven't had much coffee yet, so kind of a tired morning. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe we'll, I'm just looking at our brains for this. Maybe we'll talk about the Texas Receptus and critical text theory. I don't think we've done that one yet. <laughs> so, no, don't let that not have you come back next week, but we'll have another theological topic uh, for you. And until then, have a good Theological Thursday. See ya. See ya.